Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Are you thankful to be in the house of God on Wednesday night? Amen. Me too. You all can be seated. As you all know, we're starting off on part two of our marriage series in the month of February. But today's also a special day. Look at your spouse and tell them, Happy Valentine's Day. That's right. And if you don't have your spouse, you can always tell your neighbor because it's about love, right? It's all about love. Uh, I was working at the high school today, and uh, we have student workers that come through. And uh, one of the girls that was in there, she's like, oh, this day's just stupid. She's like, this day's just stupid. And then I was like, you think it's stupid? She goes, yeah. She goes, people take one day to try to do the things they should be doing all year long. It's like, amen to that. She goes, and then they come up with things like National Boyfriend Day, National Girlfriend Day. And I said, is that a thing? She goes, oh, it's a thing. She goes, another one of them days they can just put on the calendar to do one thing during the year that they should just do all through the year. It's like, that's all right. I think she's going to do all right. I think she's going to do all right. But, uh, yeah, it's a pretty good day. I tell you what, though, you ever work in a school on Valentine's Day? Oh, my word. It's crazy, y'all. It's crazy. I mean, literally, someone literally brought a balloon the size of a person and a body pillow. No lie. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. You multiply that times about 150-plus kids. Yeah, it's fun, let me tell you. So it's been a long day. I bet some of you guys out there have had some long days too, haven't you? A little tired, a little, oh, but you're here. So I'll try to keep it a little lighthearted, a little fun, a little uh, enjoyable tonight. Um, How many of y'all, you don't have to raise your hand, but uh, you can kind of nod your head if you had a chance to try out any of the homework or any of the things that we talked about last week. How many here were not here last week? So you're like, I have no clue what you're talking about. Okay, well, for those that were here, would you mind if I just take about five, seven minutes and just kind of do a quick run through of last week, kind of catch everybody up to speed of where we were? That'd be all right? Good. So I asked everybody when we started out last week, how many here thought that there's always room for improvement in marriage? And wouldn't you all agree that there's always room for improvement? It's always a work in progress. We're not perfect people. We never will be. So it's always a work in progress. 1 Corinthians 13, we read the scripture about love is patient. I read it from a different version about love is patient, love is kind. It actually says charity in the King James Version, but commentators agree that you can kind of interchange those words. And that scripture last week, I think it's important that I want to take a little uh, lesson from something that Bishop has done before when he's read scripture And if we're supposed to have love one for another, supposed to have love for our spouse, even the Bible goes so far as to say that we should love our enemies. So if you and your spouse are at odds, you're still supposed to love them, even if they're your enemy, right? (laughs) Hopefully they're not. But if they are, you still got to love them, right? But when the scripture talks about love being patient, love and kind, I think it's a good idea to take and look at ourselves introspectively and do as Bishop's done before and insert ourselves into that scripture and ask ourselves, is Dawn patient? Is Dawn kind? 
Don does not envy, doesn't boast. Not saying I'm not those things, but if we have love and we insert ourselves in that scripture, we kind of start checking ourselves and saying, oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. Don shouldn't be proud. Don shouldn't seek to dishonor others. Don shouldn't be self-seeking. Don shouldn't be easily angered. Don should not keep any record of wrong. Don should not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. Don should seek to protect, to trust, to hope. And those are the things that in our marriage are so important that all of us at times, we've all failed in those areas that we can work on. So last week we started talking about, our lesson was entitled, Can You Hear Me Now? And we started talking about communication because across the board among marriages and relationships, in assessments even that uh, my husband and I have done for married couples, people that are having issues in their marriage always score very low on communication and conflict resolution. They always score low. They've gotten to a place where they just don't know how to interact. They don't know how to speak to one another. And so as marriage changes and grows and we become self-aware and we learn more about our spouse, we talked about something called drive-through talking. Drive-through talking. Think about when you go through the drive-through in a restaurant and you give your order. And before the days of screens, when you gave your order, what happens after you tell them your order? They repeat it back to you, exactly. And so that way, why do they repeat it back to you? So that way, if they get it wrong, you can say, no, I didn't want that, I actually wanted this, or no, I said I wanted it made this way, right? Well, in marriage, it's so important to do things the same way. Sometimes when we sit down to talk, sometimes people know what they want, but they have a hard time expressing it to their mate or expressing to their spouse, or they have this idea that they should be able to read their mind and already know what they need. But that's not true. And so it's important for us to be what's called assertive. And you can throw my slide back up there in my marriage uh, cue that I have up about what being assertive means. And that's the ability to express our feelings and ask for what we want in a relationship. Now, that doesn't mean we're being demanding or demanding, I demand this. No, it's being able to express what we need. And when you are being assertive and you're doing it properly, you don't usually use things like you. Because if we say you, like you never do this, you always do this, that's a form of an attack. And that's and what, if you're being assertive, then you express what you need. I would like to have more of such and such. If I had more, it would make me feel this way because right now I feel this way. We take ownership of our emotions and we take ownership of what we need. So I'm just hitting the tops of the trees. If this is of interest to you, you can go back and listen to the podcast when it gets loaded up. But that's being assertive. That's being able to express. Now, it takes two to communicate because one has to speak, but then one has to listen. And when we're being assertive, I use the acronym KISS, keep it simple, stupid. Okay, because if we overboard them and throw everything in, including the kitchen sink, man, we've done sunk ourselves because they're going to lose us about halfway in. So we want to keep it simple. We say what the issue is, how it makes us feel, what a resolution would be, and how that would make us feel. Pretty basic. On the opposite side, which is the spouse, whether you're the one that's speaking or whether, then if you're on the opposite side of that, you're going to be what's called the active listener. And active listening is our next slide that we talked about. And that's the ability to let your spouse know that you understand them. Well, how do they know that you understood them? By restating their message. Just like when you went through the drive-through. If you're the active listener and your spouse has just expressed some things to you, you restate it back to them. I understand that you have an issue with such and such and it makes you feel this way. If we had a little bit more of this, it would make you feel this way. 
And then the spouse has the opportunity to say, no, I don't think you heard me. I don't think you understood me. Because so many times when we get in conversation with our spouse, we're truly not listening. We're just waiting for them to stop so that we can start. Because we get defensive or we want to share our viewpoint or we say, well, you may have a problem with this, but I have a problem with that. And then we derail it. You know, we do lots of different things. But it's important for spouses to be able to be assertive, but also to be an active listener. Okay? And we talked about that last week. All right, so moving on to our 12 disciplines of communication that we went through. Um, we got through seven of them, so I'm just going to quickly, you can just click through the slides with me as I go. This is basically things that you should do when you want to communicate with your spouse, things that are important. Uh, number one, be sure that your spouse is listening. Um, it's not going to do any good to talk if they're distracted or mad or not listening because there's not going to be any pro anything productive. So be sure that they're listening. Number two begin with something positive. Um, I made the statement last week, a lot of times you can catch more flies with honey than vinegar. If you can soften the blow, so to speak, by giving them a positive before you provide a critique. Um, you might say, I used the example last week, honey, thank you so much that every week on Friday you always take the trash can down to the curb. It would really be great if you wouldn't mind when you come home in the afternoon. Would you care to bring it back up to by the house? Because it's really hard for me when I take the trash out to have to go all the way down to the street. Okay? So much easier than saying something negative to them right off the bat. I tell you what, I'm so sick of you never bringing that trash can up. It's so easy. You take it down in the morning. How hard is it to come back with it in the evening? It's, it's just, it creates a whole different feeling, right? A whole different feeling. So begin with something positive. Number three, do not attack. Do not attack. Attacking goes back to how if you don't know how to be assertive, when you're attacking, you can usually tell because every sentence starts with you. You never, you are, you always, okay? So the best way to not attack is to speak to your spouse using I statements, okay? The next one we talked about was being respectful and not using disrespectful judgments. And what that means is... If you're the one listening and your spouse is trying to tell you something and they have willfully opened up and been vulnerable to move beyond just the generalities but express something they need, you are totally going to short circuit any progress. If you use sarcasm, roll in your eyes, if your body language portrays, you don't even have to say anything, but your body language can portray, I'm not interested, I don't care, you may cross your arms, when's this going to be over? Um, I don't know anybody else that feels the way you do. Things like that. That's very disrespectful because marriage is not about right and wrong, like we talked about. Marriage is about preferences and what works for you and your spouse, okay? So listening. Number five, do not exaggerate. Exaggeration, a lot of times we exaggerate when we're upset, don't we? I don't ever remember a time when you ever did blah, blah, blah. And most of the time it's not true. Me and my husband, I said, we have a lot of times have had conversations and we start with that never always and we both pause and never okay not never but sometimes so it's important not to exaggerate number six don't try to mind read and usually you know that you're trying to be a mind reader when before they can even get their thought out you're trying to finish it for them and so that's so important that shows you're not truly listening you're just trying to make assumptions or judgments about what they're saying and also, sometimes when we do that, we're trying to assume we know what their motive is, or we assume we know where they're coming from. And it's really important that you just allow them to speak. Um, whenever people try to mind read, sometimes they'll even make statements like, 
You knew when you did that it would upset me. Trying to mind read. I know you don't really mean what you just said. Trying to mind read. So it's important that we listen, okay? Number seven, focus on preferences, not principles. This goes back to the point I just made. A lot of times as spouses we get into an argument, we try to convince the other one we're right. Man, I'm going to show you the statistic. Nobody else feels that way. I have never known any person to think like you do. And they try to strengthen their argument. Everyone feels this way. Anyone in my shoes would feel the way I do. Hello. And so they try to ground themselves on an island. I am right. Because if I'm right, then you're wrong. Okay? But it's not about being right or wrong. As I said, each of us have a unique marriage. Each of us are made up of unique people. And the things I need in a marriage is not going to be the same that maybe Sister Trout needs in her marriage. Maybe different for what pastor needs than what another husband needs in their marriage. So each of us have to find what preference we have, okay? It's not about, well, no other wives would want that, but this is your wife. This is no other husband. This is your husband, okay? So it's finding what they need, okay, what their preference is, okay? So now I've caught you up real quick. Um, so now we're going to launch in to number eight, all right? Number eight, explain what made you feel the way you did, okay? Sometimes people think that their feelings are universal. Just like I said, anyone would feel the way I did. And for some people, as they're speaking, it may seem so obvious to them that this is just so normal that they think there's no need for me to explain the why to my spouse. They should know this is normal. And so instead, they just talk about the disturbing events or the things that bothered them, but they don't get to the why. Why did this bother me? Why is this bothering me? What, what, what is it in me? And so that's a really serious mistake because you need to explain to your spouse to help them understand why this is so important to you, okay? Why that's so important to you. And if you don't express how you feel, you can't expect your spouse to know. Okay? It's important. And that moves us right into number nine, which is clarify your needs. Okay? And this goes back to being assertive. You have to be able to verbalize. You can't just expect them to know and read your mind. You have to tell your spouse not just what bothers you, but another thing you have to do is you can't constantly tell them what the problem is without having some type of contribution in your own mind of what maybe a possible solution might be, okay? So it's really important that you are able to think through, okay, this is what's bothering me, this is how it makes me feel. I think this would help the problem, okay? It kind of is the idea of coming to the table where you're expressing a problem, but also being able to bring somewhat of a solution with you, okay? That can actually make a lot, have a lot more success. So being assertive. Um, and again, it goes back to some people think that their spouse should know right off the bat, this is what I need and I don't have to tell them, okay? And of course, sure, isn't it an awesome feeling when your spouse does something and you're like, wow, that's just what I wanted or, or I just, I, they just knew I was down that day and they did something that just meant so much to me. They just really knew I needed that. They were just so in tune with me that day. And, and, and that's good, and that happens. But that's not always every single day. That's not regular day-in, day-out life because we get busy, we're caught up in our own things, we have work, we have family life, and sometimes we start to feel a little bit of something lacking. And it may be something that we feel is lacking, but our spouse hasn't picked up on it, right? So sometimes we have to just sit down and just 
make it plain and just kind of clarify that. And it's important that you do that without other distractions and just kind of take a moment that you both have time without the TV on, without the kids screaming and the dog running in and out. You need to just find that moment when you can actually have some real good quality conversation. Okay? Number 10, be honest. It's so important to be honest. Anytime you've been in a marriage and you had a spouse and you learned that your spouse lied about something, what that creates from that moment forward is a lack of trust. Because if you know you've been lied to by someone, it makes you bring into question everything else. Well, they lied about that. Are they lying about this? Right? Okay? And so, tragically, long-term consequences can come from continual lying or twisting the truth. And we all know that being dishonest is more than just lying. Not being fully truthful and being deceitful falls in the same category. Um, here's a good example. Maybe a wife gets a credit card, doesn't tell her husband, and she goes and buys several things and doesn't tell him. That's being deceitful. That's being dishonest, okay? That's not sharing. That's not being fully truthful, okay? It's not just avoiding falsehood. It's not just lying. It can also mean just refusing to share information that our spouse has the right to know and they would want to know. And then you ask yourself, if I'm doing something and I'm purposely choosing not to share this information with my spouse, why? Why are we doing that? Why are we withholding that information? Why are we hiding that from them? Maybe we fear judgment from them. Maybe we've screwed up and made a mistake again and we're afraid if we tell them that they're going to be judgmental. Maybe we're afraid we're going to hurt their feelings if something that, if we're honest about something. Or maybe we fear their judgment or their wrath or their anger if they find out. But it is so much better to be truthful and work through the hurt and work through the pain. Anybody in this room that has ever dealt with a bad situation where you work through the pain, it's so worth it to work through because if something is buried and not talked about, it's just like a cancer that grows and eats and destroys. And it's never going to heal if it's never dealt with. So good communication in marriage, it doesn't hide, doesn't distort, doesn't evade from the truth. Okay? Now, honest communication, we're not talking about cruelty just for the sake of being honest. And any husband that's ever had the wife say, honey, does this dress make me look fat, knows what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> because the last thing you're going to do if you think it does. And so you might say, how do I be honest with that kind of question? Because no husband likes being put in that spot. And ladies, for sure, that's a tough spot to put your husband in, right? So here's a real, real good response. Well, it doesn't look bad, but you know that one would look better. I like this one better, right? Okay, so we're not talking about being cruel. We're talking about respectful honesty, okay? Here's also something very important, number 11. Limit yourself to one or two topics, okay? And we call this don't be doing any kitchen sinking. You know, I packed everything, even the kitchen sink. Well, sometimes... Some people that have a hard time being assertive and things bother them in their marriage, they don't talk about them, but they let them build up. 
and it's like it's building up and they're adding another thing and they're adding another thing until finally it just erupts and buddy they are just slammed with everything i've been so aggravated this last month do you really you did this and this and this and this and and then if that didn't take the cake then you went and did this and it just completely kitchen sinks them it completely and there's no way to bring resolution to a problem because so many are just being thrown on the table all at one time right okay so it's so important now listen in marriage you ever heard the phrase pick your battles pick your battles if you choose to argue about everything and you want to be right about everything you're shooting yourself in the foot okay it's okay to let your spouse win some right it's okay because if you can figure out and get to know each other, and this comes to where you get to know your spouse intimately, if you know that there are some things that are more important to them than they are to you, let them have that ground, right? Because then the things that are really important to you, they'll be willing to give a little for you. You know, you give a little, I give a little. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. It means willing to just take some time to just... Be honest, but man, don't kitchen sink them. Don't just run down the list of everything that's wrong, okay? Maybe sometimes you get to the point where you just feel for years, months, I've just been misunderstood. My spouse doesn't listen to me. And man, now I've been following down this list and I got their attention. So now, well, I got a chance and while they're listening, I'm going to, man, I'm going to read them the list because I might not get another chance, right? Okay? But, man, it's so counterproductive because by the time you hit topic three or four, they ain't listening no more. And if they ain't listening, they're mad, okay? They done got stuck on number two or three, and they're thinking in their mind what they're going to say when you get done. And it ain't going to be about topic 10, 11, 12. They're going back to number three, okay? So it's really important that you be selective about the things that are important. Let some other things go and really focus on those things that are important to you. And number 12 this kind of brings us back full circle. Allowing time for questions, okay? This kind of comes back to the drive-through talking and, and, and clarifying that you understood what was said, okay? If you're the speaker, it's always a really good idea to stop talking before your spouse loses patience and interest, okay? And it's important that you allow them to ask questions. Now, some people that have just expressed a feeling or expressed a problem, and their spouse may ask clarifying questions, the person that's just expressed their need, that's not a time to get defensive. I just told you. What don't you understand about what I just said? If your spouse is truly trying to come back with some clarifying questions, that's a good sign that they're willing to make some changes. They're really trying to help. They're trying to engage, okay? So flip to the other side and be the active listener. Listen to their question and then respond, okay? It's really um, something that's going to allow you to be productive, allow you to bring resolution. And that's the goal. That's the goal. Communication is getting to know your spouse and good communication skills so that you can resolve conflict. Okay? That's why spouses that have problems, they score so low in communication and they score so low in conflict resolution because anytime an issue arises, it's never resolved because they don't know how to communicate about it well. And all that ends up happening is they end up in a really bad argument that gets personal, and instead of discussing the issue, it becomes insults to each other, okay? And here's what's the problem with that. Let's say you're arguing about something as, you know, 
mundane as how the toothpaste is squeezed out of the tube. We hear that, you know, or how the toilet paper is put on the roll, right? This is the way it should be done. You know, this is where you go back to, I know I'm right. If you look it up, 85% of the people do it this way, you know, okay, right? All right, so you're talking about the problem and you're arguing, no, this is the way, well, this is the way I, well, this is the way I want it, okay? Then you start getting mad. Well, you're just stupid for putting it on that way. That you're just stupid, okay? And you start slinging insults. Here's what happens. If you finally come to some type of compromise or not for the problem, the hurt from the insults that were flung lingers. That sticks with you. You may resolve the problem, but if there's been personal insults, I don't know why I ever married you. I don't love you anymore. You're stupid. You start saying things like that, it doesn't matter if the problem gets fixed. You've inflicted some deep hurt that's going to last well beyond the problem. Okay? So think about your words. Think about what you're saying. It's okay to discuss a problem. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to have issues. We are going to have issues. But don't take it to the level that you turn it into personal insults because that's where a lot of people start going downhill. Okay? Try to keep it about the issue and about the problem and don't make it personal, okay? So go back to that drive-through talking. We're bringing it around full circle, asking questions. And the questions need to be respectful. They need to be courteous, okay? So what happens whenever you have not communicated well? Miscommunication is when the message that is sent is not the message that is received. How many of you have ever, someone said they sent you a text and you got this jarbled stuff that was a bunch of symbols and letters and you're like, I got this crazy text from you. I don't even know. It doesn't, what does it say? I, I don't understand it. Well, that's not what I sent, but this is what I got. Well, that's what happens sometimes in marriages. People are trying to share with their spouse and they're speaking, but what they're saying is not what their spouse is hearing. That's why you do the drive-through talking. That's why you repeat it back and make sure that you clarify that you understood what your spouse said. So y'all got that? You understand where I'm coming from? Okay, good. All right, so that's your 12. And if you were not here last week and you did not get a copy of our 12 disciplines of communication, I have a copy for you. And you can see me for that, and I'll get you for that. Okay? All right, so now we're going to switch gears a little bit. You're going to say, okay, that's all well and good about talking about communication and how to communicate well. But man, Sister McGee, there are times when I am just so mad. I ain't thinking about being respectful and I'm not thinking about not kitchen sink. I'm just so mad. I'm just so mad, okay? The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4:26, be ye angry and sin not, okay? So what is that scripture telling us? Well, right off the bat, that scripture tells me that being angry is not a sin. Because it says, be angry and sin not, right? Anger is an emotion. How many here have ever experienced anger? There's nobody here that can say they have not experienced anger. Some of us more than others, but we all have experienced anger. Goes on to say, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So that tells us we're going to have anger, and there's times we're going to be at the point of wrath, but that we can't let it linger. We can't let it stick. Don't let the sun go down. We can't let it fester and continue to grow, okay? We can look in the Bible and see examples. Even Jesus, when he was walking this earth, he got angry, didn't he? He got so mad, he went into the temple where they had turned it into a den of thieves, and he took a whip, and he flipped over the tables. He was mad. He had a righteous cause right? 
So we can, so the fact is that we will at times get angry. And when you get angry, sometimes that short circuits any reasonable thought, right? Because how many times have we come back and said, I'm so sorry, I said that out of anger, right? Because when anger emotion rises, man, half the time we are not being reasonable, are we? No. When anger escalates, productive conversation goes down. You know how you can go to the mall and you see two escalators and you have one that goes up and right next to it you have the one going down? Well, when anger is going up, productive conversation is usually going down. All right? Because the danger is, is when people get into that mode of being angry, they almost get to this point of, well, I don't care. This I don't care mode kind of almost couples with anger. Okay? So you might ask yourself, Sister McGee, what do I do when I just get so angry? And I... I'm not thinking through these things of how to, how to talk right and be assertive and express I emotions and don't attack. And then I just get so frustrated. How can I do that? The Bible tells us that an angry man in Proverbs 29, 22 stirreth up strife and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. Okay? Because anger is a danger zone. We will have anger. But we need to talk about anger tonight. We need to talk about it and how it's going to affect our marriage. So Aristotle said anyone can become angry. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, that is not easy. Okay? So here's my first suggestion to you. If you get angry in the middle of a conversation, take a time out. How many ever had your kids acting out? You said, you just need to go sit down and take time out, right? Okay, now listen. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you look at your spouse and tell them, you need to time out. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. You're just going to make them way more angry, okay? This is talking about recognizing the need within yourself to take a time out. Okay, because some conflicts get so heated, that level of anger rises, frustration rises, and rather than speaking assertively, begin to accuse, criticize, begin to yell. And then the other partner, rather than listening actively, begin to interrupt, maybe ignore, silent treatment, belittle, all right? And basically what happens when that anger's levels of anger rises is what's triggered is that fight or flight. I'm either going to leave the room and walk out and just because I'm mad, or I'm going to fight you, okay? Now, it's not uncommon when you get angry to say things you regret, true? You've got to come back and eat some humble pie to say you're sorry. This is when a timeout can be beneficial, all right? Because if you are willing to take a timeout and you recognize, hey, I need a timeout, that's going to benefit you. It's going to give you an opportunity to cool down. You know how they talk about clear head? Begin to think a little bit clearly, think through things, okay? And we begin to identify our feelings, our needs, and we begin to think productively again, okay? So time to kind of be rational. Now listen, I'm going to insert this here, is that if you were on the other side of your spouse saying, listen, I need a time out, that is not the time to keep pursuing and nagging. No, I want to talk about this right now. I'm not, we're not stopping talking until this is resolved because you're just going to make them more angry, okay? If they say they need a timeout and they need some space, let them have it, okay? It's, it's, it's okay. 
So how do you know you need a timeout? Okay? Start thinking about how you feel and what you do when you get angry. Are your fists clenched down at your side? Is your face getting red? Are you breathing fast? Some people, when they get mad, they just pour tears, right? Some people just cry out of anger. And, and they get mad at themselves for crying because they're actually not sad. They're actually mad, and they have to tell you, these are angry tears. I'm not sad. I'm mad, and I hate that I cry when I'm mad. But I'm, you know, they're mad. Maybe you feel like screaming. Maybe you feel like throwing something. Um, you just become so emotionally closed off. So you need to learn your own personal signs because everybody again is, a, is an individual and so your emotions are going to be different than my emotions and how you deal with anger is going to be different than the person next to you so you recognize when you are the one becoming angry okay and that's when you stop and say i need a time out i'm just too angry to talk right now just just give me some time to to pause and gather my thoughts i still want to talk about this let's come back and talk about this tonight at nine o'clock after the kids are in bed Okay, and especially that's so important, y'all. If especially parents that still have kids at home, if you get into a tiff or a tiff, you need to try not to let that happen in front of your kids. Now, there's times that's inevitable. Okay, it's going to happen. It's happened to Paul and I. We've had a tiff, and our kids have been privy to it. And you know what we do? We don't walk around and act like it didn't happen, because that creates fear in children. So you know what we've done? We've called Ryan Trevor in and said, Hey. You and Trevor ever had a little fuss where you got aggravated at each other? Yeah, we had to sit time out, you know, or whatever it was. And so we tell them, you know what? Me and Daddy had a disagreement, but you know what? We worked it out, and things are fine. We love each other. Just wanted you to know. We know that you heard us kind of fussing, and but we're, we've, we're good. Because there's so many kids that don't get that, and you would not believe the number of kids that think in their mind, Mom and Dad's getting a divorce because I heard them argue. Because that's what happens today. Mom and dad get married, then they get in a fight, and they divorce, or they separate, or they leave. That's what kids this, these days know, okay? So it's really important that if something like that does take place, you need to just go ahead and you don't act like it didn't happen. We're not perfect people. We're not perfect parents. Um, I've told you all there's times that we've had to apologize to our kids. You know, you know what? I yelled at you, and you didn't deserve that, and I'm really sorry. You know, mommy's not perfect. I'm still trying to be a good mom. And so that's important for our kids, you know, hey, you know what? When people are married and they love each other, they fuss sometimes, just like you and your brother do. And so then they, they can relate to that. And it gives them some comfort and understanding. You know what? They fuss, but they're okay. All right? So that's really important. So call the timeout, but don't call the timeout indefinitely. You need to try to, if you can, say, look, I'm ready to come back and talk about this later tonight. You know, try to make a time that you can come back and talk about it. All right? And again, don't be telling the other person they need a timeout. And here's the thing. It's not wrong. Let's say you see them getting real heated and angry, and they don't recognize it. You can be the one to say, you know what, I think I need a timeout. Let me step away and think about this. Because if you do that, it's going to give them a chance then to kind of step away and calm down as well. Okay? So when you do that, what are some things you can do to relax, to calm down? Well, that just depends on you as a person. Some people can go for a run. That ain't me. That ain't going to help me feel any better. I don't want to go run. <laughs> Now my husband, there's been times when he's been frustrated, a good run, he comes back and he feels great, okay? And that might be like, because of me and him, it could be anything of frustration he's dealing with. Going and having that physical exertion and running and sweating and getting a good run in, that makes him feel relaxed and calm. Some people, it just turn the lights down low, run a bath and put a real good smelling candle 
and just take 30 minutes to relax that way. Some people, they like to write in a journal, kind of just write out all the thoughts that they're thinking. Some people, they, they just go read a book. Some people kneel down and pray. Some people go watch TV because it provides a distraction because then for a while they don't have to think about all these things that are weighing on their mind. So different people can calm down and come down from anger in different ways, okay? So think about you personally. When you're really stressed and angry, what are some things that you do to relax? And then finally, remember what is important because once you reach that calm down phase before you're coming back to talk with your spouse, you need to start asking yourself, what am I thinking and feeling that made this so difficult for me to discuss? In other words, what got me so angry? What was the point? And it has to go beyond, well, they pushed me to this point. They made me angry. Because, but you need to ask yourself, but why did that make me angry? Why did that make me angry? If someone has a spouse that leaves their towels in the bathroom floor, one spouse, no big deal, who cares? Another spouse might drive them insane to the point of them getting angry, right? So you need to ask yourself, what is causing the anger? And then begin to think about how can I express how I'm feeling, but in an I statement, not in a you statement, okay? And then the third thing, and this is what is so beneficial from the cool down timeout period, is that it gives you an opportunity to try to consider your partner's point of view and maybe what they were trying to say or what they were feeling. There's times in counseling that people that have had trouble communicating and expressing their feelings in a moment without it turning into an argument, I've suggested that they sit down and maybe just write a little note or a little letter or send an email, okay? Now understand, there are a couple of, it's not always 100% the best way because you can't interpret tone and feeling and then the way something was said when it's typed or written, okay? I understand that. But couples that have found themselves in a point that they couldn't get it through a conversation without arguing or interrupting each other, and none of them would ever listen, sometimes just writing it down, your thoughts, and then letting your spouse have time to read through that, it gives them time to process their feeling. And then if they don't understand, a letter can be reread over and over and over and over. But what's important is the letter is not the conversation. The letter is just the opportunity to understand your spouse's point of view or to express your point of view and then being able to come together and talk about it, okay? And it's actually been a beneficial thing, okay? Um, my husband and I have both done that ourselves in times maybe there's been something where we got in some disagreement about and we were frustrated and we kind of parted ways to a cool down, time out, calm down, and he sometimes has left me a letter for me to read. There's times that I've written him an email or a letter, and it's really been beneficial to come back and say, I see what you are saying now. I understand. And it's usually good for bringing resolution, okay? Because you want a solution that, that the both spouses can feel good about, okay? You want both people to be able to say, I gave a little, they give a little, I feel, and you could both feel good about it, okay? Then you can resume the conversation, okay? When you bring in the assertiveness, the active listening, okay? And you say, and I know in the beginning stages, like I said last week of doing that, it can feel awkward. But in the beginning, it may feel awkward. But if you begin to practice it and it becomes the norm and it becomes secondhand, then it becomes easy. It becomes something that that's the way your conversations are structured, okay? Um, I know my husband and I, through the years of learning this, sharing it with others, we've put it into practice ourselves. And now, it is something that we utilize. There's times that we'll get together and say, hey, I need to talk to you about something. And 
this is what I've been feeling, and this is what I would like to see. And then, the, okay, so what I hear you saying is this is what you're feeling, and this would be helpful. Yeah, that's what I was saying. And so it can bring a really good productive conversation, okay? And it keeps things from going downhill. Now, here's what I, say, what I want to say about anger. Can you put up my next slide that has the anger umbrella? The anger umbrella, yes. Anger is known as an umbrella emotion, okay? Anger, 99.999999% of the time, is the feeling or the emotion that is expressed, but it's covering up another feeling underneath, okay? If you look at some of the things that are up here, fear, shame, frustration, guilt, how many of you ever done something wrong and you felt guilty about it? So to kind of divert attention off yourself, you got angry and so that they would just kind of drift off and go away and walk away mad so that you didn't have to deal with it. Maybe worried, you know, um, how many of you ever been at work and you felt disrespected and you got so mad? Understand that you need to stop and identify, I'm angry, but why? What's underneath my anger? Why am I feeling this way? I feel like I've been wronged or maybe... Um, a good example for like it says that anger can cover up feelings of pressure feelings of pressure um, I know that uh, my husband is an introvert I'm an extrovert um, how we energize of course I get energized being around people he gets energized being alone and uh, if there's ever a time when he's put in a position to have to do something that might require extrovert tendencies it makes him really uncomfortable because that's not his nature. He doesn't like to do that. He doesn't like to walk up to a table full of people to get someone's attention to say something to them. And so when he feels that pressure, like, I really need you to do that, I really, you know, then it might cause him to feel angry. Well, why? Because he's feeling pressured. Being pressured to do something that's uncomfortable for him because that's not his nature, okay? So we have to examine ourselves. I'm angry, but why? What's underneath my anger, Okay, so I'm going to, if I could get someone to help me, I want to pass out a little worksheet here. That's something she's uncomfortable with. <laughs> Can you give one of those to each couple? Do you remember our example last week when we were talking about the wife that got angry because her husband was constantly coming home late from work? Right? Okay. So... He's going to pass out this. This is something that we utilize in our counseling to kind of help people work through because it may be hard for you to understand. I'm angry, but trying to identify what's under the anger, it can be difficult for some people, okay? So I'm going to try to just hang just for a second while he passes those out. What you're getting... I don't know if you can see this up here. What you're getting is a worksheet that says reframing your marital frustrations, okay? And this is a sample one. You're getting a sample one that shows one that's been completed, and then you're getting a blank one that you can make copies of. You can even actually utilize it in your home, okay, to try to help you work through it. And this is something that we use for people. It's not intended to be something that every time they get angry, they pull it out and use it, but it helps you know and learn how to work through the process, okay? of dealing with your anger, okay? So the first box, number one, write your frustrating event, okay? For this person, what actually happened? You come home late, just constant. You come home late, all right? So then what did I feel in box number two? My emotion, well, I was kind of scared and I was angry. Usually that's the anger. Usually it's anger, 
okay? Behind the anger, though, what is the feeling that came? Well, first of all, you see box two there, the feeling response, I was scared or I was angry. Then what did you do? What were the actions? What was your response, your behavior? Well, I paced around the house. I started screaming when I got home, and I even threw some things at him because I was mad. Okay? That was the behavior response. Then, but why did I do that? You see the arrow over there to box four. What was my hidden fear? What was my hidden feeling? My, you come home late. I got scared and angry. I paced and screamed. Well, my fear was, maybe you're dead. Uh, I'm going to be alone. Another fa fear might be, well, if you're coming home late constantly, maybe I mentioned like last week, you know, maybe, you know, you're getting involved in some, with someone at the office, things like that. So that is writing down your hidden fear, okay? So then you see you go to box five, what's your hidden desire? Well, my desire would be, ultimately, I would like for you to be home on time. Now, obviously, we know that for different people, this is just an example, but it's not always something that can happen all the time, right? You know, I want you to be on, well, but things happen. There's traffic. There was an accident. I got a last-minute phone call or whatever. So here, you notice down at the bottom, there are three boxes, okay? These are some ideas and ways, things I would like to request that could help me feel better, that I'm not fearful. Number one, they might say, if you're going to be more than 15 minutes late, call me and let me know. Do that at least 75% of the time. Then, you know, I feel like you are aware that you're going to be late again, and at least you're letting me know. Number two, once in a while, surprise me and come home early. Now, listen, I realize here they're getting re real detailed with 75%, 10%, okay? And that's a little bit much, but you can see the idea, right? The idea. And then the last one, if you're late and don't call, then please listen to me when you come home, and I need to express my feelings of how I was really worried because... If you started letting me know when you was going to be late and then suddenly you're coming home late and I'm not and I don't know about it then I'm going to be fearful I'm going to be scared I need you to just listen to me express that okay so then you can see the blank one this can help you work through when you're angry and you have a problem and you don't feel like that you're really getting to the root of the problem and maybe even having success getting to the root of what some solutions would be this can just help walk you through it okay just like a step-by-step -step worksheet and again eventually they'll kind of become second nature because you'll start to think that way introspectively I'm angry why am I angry okay this is how I feel this is why I was angry what would make me not feel this way okay so does that make sense to you guys okay so that's working with anger I want to read one more scripture that's also found in Ephesians 4 verse 29 and then I'm also going to read 31 and 32. If you could throw them up there for me. I actually sourced them, but I didn't have them typed straight into my notes. This comes right after a couple verses after the scripture about be angry and sin not. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now I want you to take that verse and think about it in the context of your marriage. Let no corrupt communication come out of my mouth. But that which is good to edify, and that's something that's good to building up my marriage, that it's going to minister grace to the hearer. To the person listening, I'm going to offer grace. I'm going to give them the same mercy and grace I would want them to give me. Right? Can you skip down to verse 31? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking put, be put away from you with all malice. Verse 32. 
And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I think so many times when we talk about forgiveness and forgiving others and we have to do it 70 times 7 and all that, Sometimes we totally take that and apply it to every relationship in our life and then keep it totally clear of our marriage. Well, I'm not going to forgive them. They don't deserve forgiveness. They really hurt me. And we have to look here and see just as much as this scripture talks about us forgiving others because God's forgiven us, we have to offer forgiveness to our spouse. And I think that we need to take and remember that. But it's important for us to be kind, to be tender-hearted to be forgiving, to be merciful. If we're so willing to give that to everybody else in our life, why shouldn't we give that to the person we pledge to spend the rest of our life with? The one that we said, I love you more than anyone else on the face of this earth. And you're the one I want to live with under one roof, share the same bed, eat meals with, communicate with, get to know on a deeper, intimate level than anyone else on this earth, but then we would hold with forgiveness, or we don't show them tender-heartedness, or we don't show them kindness. We're hurting ourselves. You know why? Because we live in the same house that they do. When you hurt your spouse, you're hurting yourself. Okay? So tonight, before we leave, finishing up here, here's what I want us to do, Okay? We didn't make it to the five love languages. We're going to touch on that next week. So here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to pass out the five love languages assessment. Now, I know some of you guys that have been here in ladies' meeting or have been in counseling, you've already done this. So I ask you just to bear with me and do it again. I have two five love language assessments. It's 20 questions, 30 questions. It's real simple. It's just multiple choice. I have one that's for couples, but you each take one and fill it out on your own. And then I have one that's for singles, okay? So if you're not married, you can also take the same assessment, okay? So could you pass those out? Give the couples one to each husband and wife and the singles for those that are single. So here's what I'd like for you to do if you're willing to participate. The way that the five languages assessment is, let me tell you a little bit about it before you do it. It's 30 pairs of statements, okay? 30 pairs. Now, you might even say, what is a love language, okay? I'm not going to go into all the details until next week. But basically, a love language is where you are showing love to your spouse in the way that makes them feel the most loved, okay? And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But this is going to help you determine what your own personal love language is, how you give and receive love, how you feel the most loved, okay? So there's 30 pairs of statements, 1 through 30. And each number has two statements. You are going to pick the one that you would rather have. Or sometimes people say, well, I like both of those. Well, if you had to do away with one, which one would you get rid of? And then circle the one you would keep. Okay? So, for example, he's still passing those out. That's okay. Do I need to split it up and get some help for the other side? good okay so when you get it what you're gonna see is number one will have two sets of statements number one says if you have the couples one my spouse's love notes or sweet notes make me feel good and the other statement is I love my spouse's hugs you circle the one you'd rather have which one means the most to you okay can I have one of those because the one I have is an older version and I want to, I need the one that has the, yeah, it doesn't matter. 
So circle the one that is most meaningful to you in your relationship, okay? Now, both of them may not sound like they fit you. You're like, I don't care. I don't care about either one of those. But just choose the one that would be most meaningful if you had to pick, okay? may take you about five, ten minutes to complete it. I'm asking you to jot your name on it and hand it in to me. It's not a test. It's not a quiz. You're not getting graded. The only reason I'm having you hand them in to me is because if you take them home, you won't bring them back. And then next week you'll be at a loss. Okay? Does anybody need a pen? the pen did you get my guys upstairs did you guys get one we have a couple and a single will you run this up there for me to brother McBroom and brother Alex thanks okay so start going down through there and just circle the letter next to this phrase that is most meaningful to you And you're doing this individually. This is for you, for yourself. Basically, I'm just collecting them to put in a folder, and I'm going to hand them back out to you next week so you can look at them. Each, like, number, number one on yours, you have one for, let me see one of those that's for. So, like, number one says... For you, it's more meaningful to me when someone I love sends me a note or an email for no special reason, or I hug someone I love. Which one, A or E? Which one means the most to you? And then you go to number two, and then you go to number three. pick between the two. There can be, but you pick, you pick the one that would be the most meaningful to you. Brother McBroom, you're welcome to stop recording because I'm not going to do any other additional teaching on this tonight. We're going to close out with the survey. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.